Hey there, eco-warriors. Ready to hear about a company that's making a real difference for our planet? Welcome to Skylar Rubber Company. These folks have been in the game for over 70 years. And guess what? They're all about repurposing. They've ditched the traditional molded rubber and embraced the green approach by reusing rubber treads in their manufacturing process. That means they're saving oil and reducing CO2 emissions, all while giving their customers high quality parts. You know what's even cooler? When you choose a Skylar rubber wear part, you're actively taking part in sustainable production. Remember, Skylar isn't spelled the way you think it is. S-C-H-U-Y-L-E-R. Why is Skylar spelled so strangely? Because they're not your average rubber company. They're doing extraordinary things for the planet. Find Skylar Rubber at GoSkylar.com. That's G-O-S-C-H-U-Y-L-E-R.com. Plastic pollution would magically disappear. Wave your wand and everyone is buying secondhand. Alakazam! And recycling is demystified. We do. Your hosts, Oakley J. Fast, a chemical engineer, and Sarah Fuentes, a waste and recycling expert, are here to demystify the circular economy. Welcome to Trash Magic! Hey, Sarah. Hey, Oakley. So today we're doing something that we haven't done in a while where Sarah, my lovely co-host, and I are just doing an episode with just us. That's right. Yeah, this is how <laughs> it all it back started. back to the old school. That's right. That's right. All of season one is just us. So today we're going to talk about how I got this great compliment from a listener and it kind of inspired this show. She was like, yeah. I kind of expected a show about trash to make me feel really bad and really guilty as a consumer, but no, your show is like guilt-free trash talk. She said, it's inspiring. It makes me think about the future. It makes me feel more educated. And so, yeah, we're not about guilt-tripping you or making you feel worse. We're about inspiring. I totally loved that feedback. (laughs) When you shared that feedback with me, it really was like, that's, That's the vibe. Our vibe is we don't want to browbeat anyone. We get enough of that already at school or at work, right? Mm -hmm. We really want to be able to provide the space and the information so people can make good decisions and conscious decisions that are in alignment with their values based on where they're at right now. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but the reason I love trash isn't because of the way trash exists today. I love trash because of the potential. I love trash because I love imagining the future. And I think that trash represents everything that slips through the cracks of our society and everything that's wrong and everything that we don't, that we could do better. And that inspires me. I'm in such alignment. Like when I think about the value of trash, there's so much value in the things that maybe one other person themes discarded or not valuable. And we've all heard that saying, like, you know, someone else's trash is some is someone else's treasure. All but of that, trash is our treasure. <laughs> exactly. Like, give me your the organics right of now. Trash is our treasure. <laughs> yeah. So I I think that when I think about and when I found this like passion and love for trash, 
it came to a head when I'm sitting at a school or I'm at a school and I'm teaching kids how to separate and how to pour their liquids out from before they put their milk carton and I'm in my clothes and I get milk all over my pants and my shoes. And the kid was so excited that they got it right. (laughs) So I was freaking pissed in my head, right? That I got milk all over me, but simultaneously I'm cheering up and down. Oh my God. You're like this kid. This kid is so happy that he's like, I got it right, Sarah. Oh, my God. You're like, okay, next time let's get it in the liquid (laughs) bin. But okay, cool. Almost. So then, so it's this thing that's like, yes, it's an ugly job. It's a dirty job. It's a stinky job. It's a stinky job. It's ugly money, you know. (laughs) It's dirty money, you know. But at the same time, the, the amount of joy and reward that, we are able to give people of the satisfactory of getting it into the right place. It really hits some dopamine levels for a lot of souls out there. It's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. We're milking it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> for all it's worth. Well, cool. So I just wanted to share that feedback that that was just so sweet to hear that our podcast about trash is guilt-free and inspiring. So yeah. Okay, the next thing I wanted to do was I kind of want to start answering listener questions about their trash. And so today's episode, we're going to answer my friend Annie's question. And so for all of you listening, if you have a question for us, you can hit us up on Instagram. We're at trashmagic underscore podcast. Or you can email us at trashmagicpodcast at gmail.com and we'll answer your questions. Okay, so Annie's question is, okay, I have a what the hell do I do with this for you? (laughs) Our OG (laughs) name of our podcast, light fixtures, like a kitchen chandelier. I can find many options for light bulbs, mercury and fluorescent light fixtures, but I don't know what to do with the actual chandelier fixture. Oh, this is a good question. Mm So I recently have learned about some nonprofit organizations. Some of us may be familiar with Habitat for Humanity or Rebuild. And these are organizations that take deconstruction materials from current buildings. And if they're still intact, what they'll do is they'll receive it and then potentially resell it at a discount price. Now, this goes into another part of our conversation that we're going to have today about the future of circular economy. And so the future of circular economy is being able to instill economy and support different economic class individuals. So for example, let's just say there's a a single mom that works one job and she needs a new light fixture and she can't afford a brand new chandelier, but she can afford a gently used one, mm-hmm. right? So these places like Habitat for Humanity Restore or Rebuild Community, they have outlets where people can donate to their facility so then individuals can come and buy it at a discount price. Nice. So if it's still working, the best thing to do is to donate it to a place that specifically sells housing goods, construction goods. What if that chandelier is 
unusable, what kind of waste is it considered and where can she take it to avoid the landfill? Yeah, so when we think about waste that's unusable, meaning that in its same condition, use, right, right, <laughs> versus us being creative. So there's two ways that I would do this, which is like, hey, we have local artists that are constantly looking for things that they can recreate, that they can take portions from and cut from and, and whatnot. And so, and then there's a uh, free cycle where you can go into online and in your area, there could be a group in that area where once again, they might be looking for parts for a project or particular pieces for reimagining their waste and art. So those are some of the things that I would say now, worst case scenario, right? You can't do, you can't do anything with it. I think that it would be interesting for them to reimagine what they could do with it. True. Right? And put True. the challenge on the individual. Can't you also, isn't it also considered electronic waste? So you can take it to an electronic waste facilitator if they take it. And I don't know if you could talk a little bit about ballasts and kind of just lighting, so, recycling in general. So the chandelier itself, because there's not electronic components, because usually there's like a wire or conduit wire that you would pull out of it mm -hmm. to do the light. So the, the chandelier itself would not be considered electronic waste, but the conduit in, in getting going through it would be. Mm -hmm. Ballasts, PCB ballasts or ballasts in general are considered universal waste. So these are, they do require proper handling in some states, especially in California and Washington and, and, and Oregon. So Pacific, you know, Pacific West Coast area, very strict around ballasts and whatnot. And then, you know, the light bulb, I think we've talked about this, definitely do not put that in the trash. And you could take it to a local household hazardous waste or depending on what city you're in, can determine how they can pick it up from you. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. So to summarize, the best thing you can do is reuse, meaning using it in the exact same way that it's originally intended to be used. Second is repurpose, where you do something different than it was intended, but you keep it intact, you make some art out of it, things like that. And then the very last thing should be recycle. And we also forgot repair. That's like, true. Repair. About, yeah, yeah. We forgot about repair. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it could be as simple as reaching out to somebody that knows how to fix things and mm -hmm. they can fix it. Yeah. And then, yeah. then you can sell it. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Cool. All right. So now we'll launch into our episode topic of today, which is that as we both talked about, we are inspired by trash. So why are we inspired? Because we can imagine a better future and we want to talk about that better future today. I want yes. to talk about, you know, what I could imagine the future world to be like as we learn more and more about circular economy. So my first point here was inspired by an event that I went to. I went to an event hosted by the United Nations in Denver and they were talking about circular economy and somebody brought up service, service industry as circular economy. And I've mostly thought about circular economy as products, products that can be recy recycled, repurposed, all of the things we just talked about. 
So I had to ask her, what do you mean by service? And I realized there's this whole industry waiting to be revived, like taking your shoes to a cobbler, (laughs) like an artist reupholstering a couch. There is an entire service economy that is just waiting to be revived for the circular economy. This is part of the idea around building economy and having opportunities and creating jobs and workforce. Correct. Because when you are able to repurpose, redesign, and all these R's, right? If we're able to do these four R's, that creates more jobs than just throwing it to the landfill. That creates more economy in our direct community than throwing it into the landfill. So when you bring this up, you're absolutely right. The service industry, the individual, the the single mom, the struggling dad, the vibrant couple, all of them have more opportunities within a circular economy without that. Yes. Otherwise, all we're doing is creating this negative effect because we're not seeing the value and we're thinking short-sighted. Completely. And I think that like, that is a big critique of the circular economy. Like, well, the only way people can think about making money right now is, well, we got to make more, therefore make more money. But no, if there is this entire service economy and repair economy, that there is so much, I don't know, I don't want to say money, but there's so, so many jobs, as you were saying, just waiting. And I, I don't, see circular economy as taking away from the economy in any way. I see circular economy as building wealth, like it's distributing out wealth. I love that. It's not just putting the wealth in one person's hand or one company's pocket. It's saying, hey, guess what? We see that there's resources that the earth that the earth provided for you. And we're going to distribute out the wealth to all the people that reside in this planet. Now, We get individuals that are greedy. We get individuals that are uh, money hungry and that are selfish. And they say, guess what? We're going to put in a system that's only going to serve eclectic crew. And that's not us. Okay. And it's only going to serve them financially, but it's going to hurt everybody else economically. It's going to hurt everybody else in the environment. And then other people suffer. And this goes back to the conversation that Heidi talked about in, in our previous episode about having producers have more responsibility on the product that that they're creating, the materials that they're creating, right? Mm-hmm. And having that circular engine to support that. The circular engine does have logistics. It has manufacturing. It has labor. It has even, even ideas spawned by children or seniors, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah, everybody, everybody contributes. You touched on another thing that I was thinking about that I would love to see in the future, which is this designing for end of life. Products are designed for end of life. And so what that looks like is in a circular economy is that they're also designed to be repaired. They're designed for something other than landfill. So like a pair of shoes could be designed for high quality to be able to be repaired. A phone, we've talked about Fairphone, which is a phone that's modular. It's really easy for anybody to repair it. 
which most phones are not easily repairable by the user no. today. So kind of this designing for end of life, but also designing for repair. I would love to see products made that way. So I got this this like idea. Okay, so what if we, in the future, like we're talking about the future of circular economy, we have these amazing creative innovators that are creating things that could be repaired. And then we uh, also have like a place where we can go and have things that are repaired, like a like a repair cafe, like a repair meetup, like a repair. And then we have people in the community that are that are the ones that built the phones, that are the ones that built that table, that are the ones that built that car, come in and uh, volunteer 15 minutes, an hour of their time or their week to help another person in the community this right there, that's what I think the future is going to bring in the circular economy. What does that do? That builds our economy. That builds camaraderie. Then we're able to make friends and influence people that are passionate about keeping things out of the landfill. And guess what? You might meet your husband or your wife. <laughs> <laughs> we're taking a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor, Skylar Rubber Company. Skylar is repurposing over 1 million tire treads from the whopping 110 million tires processed by the recycling industry each year. Recycling just four tires can save the planet from 323 pounds of CO2 emissions. So, fellow planet lovers, if you want to join the eco-friendly movement and get top-notch industrial rubber products, look no further. With repurposed tires, Skylar provides you with durable industrial wear parts universal edge designs to fit any bucket, like a glove, snowplow blades, stabilizer pads that work like magic with cat models, and more. Remember, Skylar isn't spelled the way you think. It's S-C-H-U-Y-L-E-R. Find Skylar Rubber at goskylar.com. That's G-O-S-C-H-U-Y-L-E-R. So, so what you're saying is there would be like a workshop where somebody would teach you how to do these repairs. Is that what you're saying? What, no, what I would say is like, what if we can imagine a cafe where once a month we have a repair weekend mm. where we have a bunch of people come and bring things that they need repaired and people that know how to repair. Mm. Love it. That's a great, it, it, that could happen now. Exactly. That's like what the future, I like, imagine like the future would be like. So let's now with this idea, Oakley, let's have trash magic make that happen okay, somehow, some way. Okay. Yeah. And if any <laughs> listeners have some skills for yeah. repair, let us know, please. Amazing. I feel like you're reading my mind a little bit because you keep up bringing, keep on bringing up these points that I'm like, and that, and that. So another thing that I wrote down was, let's see, basically having a place to connect items to the people who can repair them. So for instance, like I see furniture all over my neighborhood, just on the side of the road. How cool would it be to have an app where as I'm walking my dog, Ginger, I could take a picture of this couch and put its location and then artists could come and pick that stuff up for free and then on that same app, maybe even we would resell it, you know, like why not have some sort of app to connect materials to people who could reuse, repurpose, redesign those things. I, 
I I totally am in like in love with this app idea. So if we know a programmer, you hear us, give us a holler because we want to make this happen. Yeah. Yes. Because <laughs> I think about this on a very large scale. So when I think about what you're saying around materials and apps and connecting them, I think about deconstruction of buildings. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge so one. So we got called out to a walkthrough in, in Southern California. And they're getting ready to demo a building. And so when we go in to look at materials, if you don't know what the value of like a brick or a door frame or a window frame, you are not going to know if there's any value to that or any reuse value, right? And so imagine that app being able to place, Mm -hmm. you know, a thousand bricks with somebody that needs it or two two window frames that needs it. And not only are you saving money and waste costs, you're also helping somebody else that maybe economically couldn't afford a brand new one. Yeah. And was open to something that has been gently used or used, but still works. Yes. That app would not only, once again, create economy, save money, and bring more economic value to real estate in the area. Yeah, it would make it would cre- make local, like you said, like build the local economy. Okay, so now I'm remembering, I've said this to somebody before and there is an app like this but in India. Mm-hmm. So, maybe we can learn. Maybe we can find this app, and maybe we can bring it to the the US. Yeah. Okay, so now expanding on that idea, what if there was just like an entire second-hand Amazon? Oh yeah. Right? Like where <laughs> where anything that you wanted to get rid of that still had some life in it or just needed to be repaired, there'd be a whole industry of people repairing and reselling these things. I mean, honestly, if I could have the convenience of buying things but I knew it was secondhand and that it was repaired and it was still in good shape because somebody had checked, I would absolutely buy secondhand for literally everything. I already buy secondhand a lot, but the convenience factor I think is where a lot of people get hung up. You're absolutely right. The convenience factor is a big deal in time, right? Because people want things right now or they got a deadline or whatever the case may be. But I think that that idea is genius because once again, we're hitting on these same points that it's going to create economy. It's going to create these manufacturing opportunities of refurbishing things and and then certifying that it's been refurbished and then having access to the people that know how to actually repair them. Mm-hmm. It's really it's really exciting to think about what the circular economy can do for the future. And also at the same time, it's like a sense of like, for me, I always feel like it's a sense of urgency, like everybody get on board right now, please you know, be less wasteful. It's really exciting to think about these great ideas. And I want to challenge any of our listeners that if you have any ideas of what you think the circular economy can look like, I want us to imagine the ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Like, please. I think want to know completely. I I've been reading this book, which I highly recommend to everyone, which is called "Rest Is Resistance," and it's talking about how we get to restore our bodies. But in 
the point that I'm trying to make for our episode is in this book, she talks about if there's no time for rest, there's no time for imagination. And if we can't imagine a better world, then we can't create it. So I'm so thankful that you referred that book to me. I listened to the book on some of my flights. Awesome. And it really has changed my uh, resting schedule throughout the day. I do take a a resting break every single day. I'll go and take a a 15 minute break of just resting, closing my eyes, even if I'm not sleeping, because, you know, I, I have taken power naps, but even if I'm not sleeping, I am closing my eyes. And it really is true. Like the imagination really helps solve a lot of problems. And so we really just want to inspire everyone today to imagine what the circular economy can look like for you in your industry. You could be in the tech industry, you could be in the clothing industry, fashion, makeup industry, automobile. There's so many different industries. And imagine you could see what is going right in your industry and you could see where the gaps are. And if you have any insights or intel that you want to share with us, please share with us because we want to be able to help imagine some solutions for those gaps, Mm -hmm. right? And that's ultimately where this guilt-free podcast comes in (laughs) is that there's no right or wrong or because we're constantly like worried about conflict and right or wrong or in this like thought process. But when you're looking for a solution, we don't want to negate and, and and say yes or no to anything until we're able to sit, try it almost yeah. like, you know, I like this so, idea of just imagine as much as you can, who cares if it seems outlandish, because let's just think all you're doing is imagining and that could lead to many realizations. So I think that it's important to, to also include this social aspect of circular economy. I would love a circular economy of the future to mean a well-rested economy. Those two words don't even fit together in the same sentence the way we are now. Well-rested and economy. (laughs) But I want to imagine something like that. It makes a lot of sense in terms of social of the social norms right now of hustle, hustle, hustle. And if you aren't on the grind, you're slacking. There's this really thought process and mentality that's like put in social media and by corporations. And I think there's a fine line of balance of of like, are we really living our life just to work? I know I'm not. No, and and the planet is exhausted. We are exhausting her resources. She's working so hard to try to replace these things that in a in a time scale of human life that was meant to take hundreds of years, thousands of years, millions of years in the case of oil petroleum to replenish the planet is tired too it's you you bring such a good point and it's just like this this let's bring it down on like maybe because sometimes when we think about the planet being exhausted it seems so hard to to like imagine 
right? right? So let's think about like a mother that's nursing, right? And a mother that's nursing their their baby, that mother's going to generate and produce only so much milk in a certain amount of time. And then what happens is, is that if that if if we do not produce enough milk, that baby's going to go hungry. And then eventually, if that mother doesn't produce enough milk, and this this is prior to Infamil, okay, people, <laughs> um, you know what happens is then you have to go to another mother and have another mother nurse your baby. We don't have another mother. We don't have another planet that we're just going to go jump on and bring all humanity to. Well, yeah, maybe some people can go to Mars, but that's not me. It's going to take right? time. One way or another, <laughs> right? even if Mars is an option, it will take time. So it's like that. It's like we're expending these resources of our Mother Earth, and Mother Earth doesn't have enough time to replenish it right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so... What happens to a mom when she's totally spent? Think about your mom when she's totally spent, people, okay? <laughs> no. This, and you wonder why we're having floods, fires, wind, hurricane, all the above, volcanoes. I mean, think about it. Haven't we heard all that going on right now in the news? Mm-hmm. And we wonder why Mother Earth is... What do you think she's trying to do? She's trying to get reset. Mother, Mother Earth needs a nap. <laughs> Give her a nap, she, people. Yeah, she needs a rest as resistance. She is, yeah, yeah anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, well-rested and just where people are are happy and, and have enough. This this I kind of feel like this definition of enough will change. And I really feel like the way that we can kind of create this is by focusing more on local economies and communities. So learning from the folks who know an environment, that means indigenous people, that means people who are stewards of the land. Let's learn from these people. Let's not do this copy paste one size fits all for every environment because it just doesn't work that way. I think that, and I think that it would make the world a little more interesting to explore because every local place you go will have its new way of tending the planet. We'll have these new foods you can eat because they are local to that space. I was just thinking about how when we go to the grocery store, there's this illusion that strawberries are available all year, (laughs) for example, (laughs) It's an illusion. It's not true. And so I know people want strawberries or want, you know, fruits and vegetables all year round, but also maybe we would appreciate them more and the planet would get a chance to rest if we don't force this idea that things are available all the time. That's not to say that we we still need to very much provide for everybody, but let's think about enough. Does enough have to be I ha- I get things all the time at any time of year? Yeah, go ahead, Sarah. I think that's really profound to think about this concept of enough because we're constantly, I've been a product of always wanting more, 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 more now, right? And so when I think about this idea of what is enough, I think about more of like a, a concept of being satisfied with, and, and having the basics of life, like, and living within my means, 
right? Because I always want to be more. I always want to be greater. I always want to be better. And and so there's like a difference of like wanting more things and then wanting more greatness, <laughs> right? But when I think about things, it goes back to this, like, how do you, I think about my ancestors, ancestors. how can I own the land? How can I own the air? How do I own a river? It's never really mine. So I've accepted the fact that it's never going to be really mine. And when people think that it's going to be theirs, this thought process to me is not going to serve the global economy. It's not going to serve the circular economy because it's self-serving. So getting away from this thing of like, I'm going to own it and it's going to be mine. And this collective way of living, this collective way of being. And I think about how people live. We used to live in compound living where families used to live on the same compound, on the same acreage. And we maybe had two, three houses and we all worked towards in our acreage to get food and to take care of our livestock and whatnot. And then we moved away from it. And it kind of divided us in a way in our in our communities around being cl- far away from our family, having to have more money to be able to to survive in the same way. So it really makes me think: is is really being separate more, or is being together more? Right. Well, and also it's made it where competition and owning more things means survival. Yeah. What if you were, you knew you would have enough and you knew your family would have enough. Would you seek, would you continue to seek greatness outside of yourself? Or would you then be calm enough in our lizard survival brains to go inward and be able to build greatness from the inside like you were talking about? I really do think that this struggle with resources is really people's fear of mortality. Mm-hmm. which is, I'm getting deep here, but <laughs> I really do think that part of the resistance is people's fear of their own life. And if we can create a community where people are cared for and there is enough, maybe we wouldn't feel this stress of trying to get physical resources to prove that we're safe and that we will survive. Man. Yeah. Man, it, it, you bring up such a good point about, you know, the more and the competition. And I I feel really humble, humbled by sometimes not having more, if that makes sense. I think about those individuals that have like storage units that they're paying for. And, I, and they have like three or four storage units that they're paying for to, to hoard their stuff and to hold, to hold their stuff. And I know that that gives a lot of people a sense of accomplishment or value because these things are important to them and these tangible things that are important to them. But I, I, I want to ground us because you, you said we we're going to get deep where we think about really the most important thing at the end of the day, in my opinion, for me, is my life. And is my family. And having more of that, more time with them in any capacity is the best. Mm -hmm. Not storing up things in a storage 
and fighting over that, over those types of things, right? So it just makes me think about like the simple things. And sometimes society makes it really complicated because we want to look a certain way, act a certain way, fit in and be accepted. Just like anyone I want to do, I want those things too. I want people to be my friend too, but not at the cost of my, my peace and my harmony. And ultimately for me, when I think about the future of the circular economy, it has these pillars where I have a sense of peace. I have a sense of, of, of support. And then it's, it's constantly fed because it's renewed and sustainable. It also gives a sense of uh, security for the community that I'm in. And there's going to be an economic security that we're going to see. And that's what I hope that we can build together as our audience and with you, Oakley. Right. So. Awesome. Hell yeah. It's so funny (laughs) because like we could talk about this forever. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So. I think the so we'll wrap up this episode, but I do want to admit we did we did get a little bit into what could be perceived as the guilt zone, <laughs> like with the the planet and wanting too much or having too much. So maybe instead of promising guilt free, we promise honest and visionary. <laughs> do those it's, sound it's like a- good words to you or would you use something else? I would say, yeah, honest transparency, you know, we're, we're being transparent of where we're at right now. Right. Yeah. And, and our intention is not to make anybody feel bad or about their perception or where they're at in their journey of being zero waste or learning about circular economy. Our intention is to inspire people to think different, not think the same. That's our intention. Mm -hmm. And to imagine what the world or what Mother Earth would be like if you did rest for 15 minutes, if you did go and get something repaired instead of throwing it away. That's it. Yeah. So, okay. So honest and inspiring. I think think that those are our, our words. Cool. Thank you, Sarah. I love you so much. Thank you for being my mentor, my friend, my co-host for this podcast. And I can't wait for next week's episode. (laughs) I love imagining things with you. It really is one of my all-time favorite things. And and being my my authentic self with you and seeing and hearing all your corny jokes. (laughs) I love them. You know who I saw today? Who? I saw you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you for loving me for my corny dad jokes. <laughs> Those are my favorite, dude. Like, keep them coming, baby. That's, thank you. I will. All right. Any questions you want us to, any materials or any questions? What the hell do I do with this? Where does it go? How do I handle it? Let us know. We'll answer it on our next episode. Mm-hmm. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. You can find us on Instagram at trashmagic underscore podcast. See you next week.